Hello, and welcome to the Coach's Cup. I am Sonia Green from Sonia Green Coaching. And today I have with me Carla Motes, a financial coach. I'm going to let Carla tell you a little bit about who she is in just a second, but we're going to talk about how imposter syndrome affects women and their finances. So welcome, Carla. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really, really glad to be here. Tell us this a little is my bit second of, visit. It is your second visit. That's right. That's right. When Shanna was on a few months ago, I said something about she was our first return guest. So I guess you're our second. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you do as far as your coaching niche. I am a fractional CFO and a business coach. Um, so some of my clients in the fractional CFO space um, I work with just a small number of clients and I basically serve as a part-time CFO. So these are for, you know, typically clients that are seven or eight figures that are ready to step beyond their bookkeeper and need higher level finance and strategic advice, um, which is available to big company CEO, CEOs and um, but small businesses, you know, don't need that much and they can't afford it. And so I, I come in on a fractional basis with them. And then I'm also a business coach. Um, and I coach I, pretty much everything I'm doing. A lot of it's coming from a financial angle, but we are coaching on, we're coaching on strategy. We're coaching on mind, on uh, mindset. We're coaching on money beliefs. We are coaching on financial practices. Um, but it's just that I'm coming at it from a financial angle. And, and really what I am trying to do is um, help business owners um, make more profit, have better cash flow, so that they can um, you know, have businesses that support the support the life that they want to have. Yeah. So, awesome. Well, I, I love this topic with looking at women with imposter syndrome, because I see when I'm coaching women with imposter syndrome, I have seen it creep into their financial lives as well. So tell me where you see that happening. I think it, I think it shows up in a lot of places for women. And I think, you know, whether you have a business, you know, whether it's a side hustle or, or you're a full-time entrepreneur or you, you know, a full-time day job, it shows up in both places. I think it shows up in um, under earning, obviously. Um, yes. like if I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not charging what I'm worth. Um, if I had a dime for every conversation I have with entrepreneurs about the question, what should I charge? Or, you know, clients won't pay me for, you know, don't want to pay this. Um, if you're an employee, it comes in on the opposite side. You know, um, I have a lot of friends in the recruiting industry and they're like, more often than not, they said their women candidates don't negotiate. Yeah. They said their male candidates always always want to negotiate. Mm -hmm. They said they don't care what the offer is. They're like, I'm always going to cut back with a counter offer. But they said, you know, usually that's a conversation they always have to have with women candidates is, yeah. is about negotiation. They might add ask for promotions. They might not go after promotions. There's there's a statistic I had read once that said that um, if a man sees a job okay, um, yeah. posting, if he has 30% of the qualifications, he'll he'll apply. Mm-hmm. For a woman, they often feel that they need to have seventy percent of the qualifications. So yeah, that, between seventy and a hundred. Yeah, you take yeah. two. You, you take two people with similar experience. That man is is applying for that promotion when he has thirty percent of the qualifications because he knows he can grow into that role. And the woman is waiting until she has seventy percent. So obviously, I think this also has, you know this plays into your you know the gender gap we have out there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're, they're under earning. 
Um, they're they're playing small. You need mm-hmm. to play small, whether it's in your business or, um, or in your career. And we're often focused on our shortcomings and not on our wins. And yeah. when we do that, again, we're it's like we're looking for reasons to substantiate why we're not our, as awesome as the rest yeah. of the world we are. I that's what I want to go back to the to the negotiations for just a minute because I I had a wonderful mentor in my PhD program and it, she my dissertation director it was a woman and she taught me to negotiate when I went out on the job market I negotiated I negotiated for every position that I applied for after that and I saw women coming in at all different you know staff and faculty positions who had no sense of how to negotiate you know, they were scared to do it and nobody had ever taught them to do it. Well, I, th- I think even when we go into the car dealership, I remember going into yeah. the car dealership the first time to buy a car and I was paying for the car on my own. And I brought my father in because I uh, I don't know much about cars. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole time the salesman spoke to my father. Yes. I was like, this is Wouldn't mine. even look at you, right? Um, I, have, I have a good friend of mine who um, just bought a car and she took her dad in to negotiate. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, so it may not even be negotiating for our salary, but it can be negotiating. That's a great point. um, You know, when we're buying a car, when we're buying a house. Yeah. And I think I think we're we're basically, you know, kind of hardwired. You know, this is comes from, you know, the patriarchy, Mm -hmm. how we're, you know, how we're raised that we don't want to rock the boat, Mm -hmm. you know. There's some people pleasing involved as well. Yes, and you know we just want to be. We like to keep the peace. I mean, the, often as you know, as moms, as you know, for those of us that are moms, that's part of what we're doing is keeping the peace in the house, mm-hmm. keeping the peace in the family. And so you know, we just you know we don't want to ruffle feathers. And um, it's you know, so it's something that you know we're just often not raised to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's a skill. You, it's a skill you have to learn. But I, I think it starts with the mindset of knowing what you're worth. Yes. And not not settling for for less than what you're worth, whether it's in your business and what you charge for your services or your products, mm-hmm. um, or if it's in your day job, not settling for less than your your value as an employee. Yeah. So when you have women who come to you and ask you, how much should I be charging? What what do you do? How do you well, answer that question? I do an exercise around, you know, well, what is what you do worth? Because that's because yeah. really the, the whole question of what price do I want to set always comes down to your belief in yourself. Yes. What do you think? Um, and even as a as a as an entrepreneur, I I go through this myself. Is you know what is the value of what you do worth, and almost to take yourself out of it. So a lot of times, you know, what, what I'll say is, you know, how, how do your clients, your customers, how do they change? What result do they get? What impact does this have on their life? Mm-hmm. I say, now let's let's assume somebody was selling this to you. Yeah. What's it worth? And usually, when they can take themselves out of the equation, um, and I had a coach actually who asked me this, and I was like, well, yeah, it's priceless. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, well, that's interesting. You know, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think because pricing is never about actually setting the price. Yeah. It's about what you believe your value to be. And sometimes you step into it. You, you can raise your prices, you know, gradually. But same thing with your salary. I mean, what, I mean, I think when you're in corporate, you have a little bit of the idea of the value because typically a job comes with a, you know, a salary range, you know, which you're right. currently making. Um, but it's, you know, what are the results you're going to get for your company? And then why are you the absolute best person 
to deliver that result. Yeah. You know, I see too, what women often do too is, you know, I remember my days in corporate, you would, uh, a job opportunity would come up and maybe two or three other people you knew were also applying for the job and you'd look around and you're like, God, but they've done X, Y, Z and I haven't done X, Y, Z. I guarantee you the men in your Don't office have that conversation. are not sitting around. Yeah. If anything, they're sitting around and they're, they're saying, well, yeah, I think the conversation is so different because if they see up here applying for a job, they're focused on all the ways that they're better than that person. Yes. Where for women, we're focused on all the ways that we're not as good as that person. I mean, that's classic, you know, the classic imposter, imposter syndrome. I've also yeah. seen women who didn't want to compete with their friends. They felt like they were somehow not being loyal if they threw their hat in there and, and competed with friends. And I think that is another sneaky way that imposter syndrome gets us because we're like, Oh, I, I don't, I don't want this to be a competition. I might lose a friend. Right. And yeah. That, again, I, I, and I think that's something that's fairly unique, you know, to women Yes. Um, and men compete on teams against each other all the time. Uh-huh. Um, and ultimately when, when multiple women apply for the same, for the same jobs, they're helping other women because they're, yes. they're, you know, because even if you don't get the job, you're getting in front of the decision makers, you're getting your name known. So, you know, not applying for something never really served unless it's truly what you want. Maybe, maybe you don't want to apply for it because the job, you know, requires 70% travel and uh-huh. you don't want to travel. No, so, so when you don't apply for the job, when, I think the question you have to ask yourself is why am I not applying? Am I not applying? Do you know, I like the reason I'm not applying? Am I not mm-hmm. applying because I don't want to compete with other women? Um, because I don't think I'm as good as the other women, or am I, um, you know, so am I doing it from a place of scarcity or a place of fear, or am I doing it from a place of, you know, really intentional? This, this isn't the, you know, the life I want. Maybe, maybe it's a leadership position that's going to have a, you know, significant number of employees reporting to you. And right now, you know, you have a small team and you really don't want to have to manage a larger group. So again, ask yourself, you know, what are the reasons, um, that you know you're not you're not applying for that promotion and where are they really coming from yeah do i like those reasons yeah that's great advice you were talking also about salary negotiations and how we will sometimes cut ourselves short in those salary negotiations simply because we don't value ourselves i think i think sometimes as women when somebody offers us something we we feel like we have to take it i think you know it they've offered me this job and we, we, we believe that, well, if I offer the, if I ask for more, then they'll tell, they'll tell me no, and they'll go hire another candidate. I'll lose, I'll lose out. Or they're, they're going to think negative things about me or, or we're, we're worried about the rejection. And um, if we're in a business, it's often, you know, I hear women say, well, you know, I offered, you know, I made an offer to them for, you know, X dollars and they came back and they wanted, and they wanted a discount, you know, and I, you know, and I felt bad for them. And so I, you know, I gave them the discount. So again, I think part of it is we don't have our own back. Um, and we're worried about what the other person's gonna, you know, gonna think. Um, and we're coming at it from a point of scarcity because if if you apply for a job and you get an offer and they want you, they yeah. want you in that role. And if we if if we ask for more and they don't give it to us, there's an you know one you don't know unless you ask. The worst they're gonna do is say no. Mm-hmm. And two, let's just play. You know, I like to play with the worst case scenario. So the worst case scenario, yeah. right, is that. You ask, they say no, and they re- they take the offer back, which, by the way, never happens. Virtually never happens. But if right. they do, 
if that person, if that person, if, if you want him for that role there, mm -hmm. you can find that role someplace else. It always is coming from a place of scarcity. I'm not good enough. Yeah. That's where it's always coming from. And again, men, men aren't going into it, you know, thinking that way. So I think, you know, you have to like coach yourself when you come in, you know, why am I worth that extra money? What are the results that I'm going to give for them? I think also too, for, for women, um, if the promotion already represents it, say the promotion already represents a 10 or 15%, you know, pay increase. And they're like, mm -hmm. that's really, that's really generous. So that, 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 that's all, you know, it feels good, but it's more about what is that role worth? What is all of my experience worth? What am I bringing to the job? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not basically just accepting, you know, exactly what they've, you know, what they've offered, but negotiation is, you know, it's definitely a skill mm -hmm. that I, I think most women aren't, we're not raised with. And it's something we have to go out and um, develop. Well, and you'll also, I mean, companies want to get the best bargain they can for their money. So especially if it's a promotion within the company, then sometimes they'll offer you that 10 or 15% where if they were offering it to somebody else who's coming in from somewhere else or who was already making a higher salary, they would, they would have offered more. So there's room there and you're just so happy. That's what I see is women. They're like, oh, well, it was 10% more. Well, yeah, but what are you doing? Like how much more time are you investing now? Well, we, one of the companies I used to work at, we used to have a joke that the best way to make more money at that company was to leave and come back. Yeah, no, in you academia. You said earlier common. that companies want to make a bar. Well, your really good companies want highly engaged employees. They don't want to overpay, but they want to have highly engaged employees. They want to they want to properly reward their client, their their yeah. employees. But yeah, I had a, a company I used to work for, and that was our joke. And the and the financer, yeah. the best way to make more money was to work there for a year or two, leave because we'd had several people who had left and come back. Mm -hmm. And when they come because as an outsider. Typically, often you're you're interviewing for multiple jobs, and yeah. so that's the other thing too. Is if you're applying for a job internally, it, you may be applying for other jobs internally, but a lot of times you're posting for just a particular for a particular role. Where if you are coming in from outside, you, you might be working with a recruiter, and you might be looking at three or four different opportunities. So you're kind of you know kind of playing those opportunities off you know against each other. It all starts with your belief in yourself. So whenever somebody's mm -hmm. you know applying for, I wish I'd known about imposter syndrome when I worked in corporate. Because, yeah, I think there's a lot of things you can do is, you know, really step into, you know, write your your, your superpower, your superhero story before you go into that interview um, or before you go into that negotiation. Know, you know, everything, make a list of everything you've done to create the result where you are actually even in play, you know, for, mm -hmm. for this you know, for this role. But I do think a lot of the gender gap has to do with the fact that, you know, women, when, when we're taking new jobs, we don't negotiate. We just take what's given to us. Um, and if, you know, if a man is negotiating and getting, say, an extra 15%, well, you know, over time, you know, those numbers add up and, and that and contributes to, you know, the gender gap that's out there. Yeah, that's something that, that I saw in academia a lot. You wouldn't necessarily leave and come back, but you go out, you interview, you get an, a job offer at another university, you bring that back to your university. Well, and I mean, and what I meant with that is our company had a, we knew that when people applied for jobs, if they hired somebody outside due to the mm -hmm. competitive marketplace, the person from the outside was going to get an I offer know. for a higher amount than an internal yeah. candidate. 
Yeah. It wasn't even that the experience was actually different. It's that they were, they were hiring somebody from outside. That person from outside was, had multiple offers that they were perhaps leveraging. And that outside person, I could have two people, you know, with the same experience level, but at Mm -hmm. the company I was at, we knew um, because people talk is that the people that were coming in from outside with the same experience level were often making 10 or 15,000 more or 10 or 15% more than the internal candidate. Um, just because of, you know, because they were leveraging, you know, multiple offers. Um, And when you're leveraging multiple offers, you also tend to feel better about all the things you bring to the table. Right. Um, There was just, there was often just a different mindset. Cause if I'm internal, I was like, well, yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with recruiters. I don't want to have to go out and interview for multiple jobs. So we, we, I don't know, we tend to kind of take what's given to us. Um, Sometimes when it's, you know, it's an, I know at my company, it was like, when you got, until you got to the upper levels, it was like, well, when you get a promotion, you get a standard 4% pay increase plus a, you know, 3% promotional increase, 7%. The smart people realized that, yeah, that was in some policy book, but then they would go and say, well, you know, I'm not taking on additional responsibility for 7%, right. 7% increase. I want another, you know, X amount, you know, per, or I want an extra, you know, maybe, maybe part, part of your negotiation can also be your team, you know, um, it, it, does the, you know, what's it going to take for you to deliver the result that they want? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe your team needs to, you know, be larger. Maybe there's a kind of infrastructure that you need them to invest because the negotiation doesn't just have to be about your, yeah, your salary. That's what I was getting ready to bring that up. So many times we think that the negotiation is just about a dollar figure. And many times that that's part of it, of course, but there's other things that you can negotiate and- as well. Your negotiation can also be, you know, I want extra, you know, extra weeks vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of companies have things that when you reach a certain level, a different, different um, benefits kick in. So yeah, there can be a lot of different things that you. Yeah. An extra you, admin or a diff, an extra again, the worst thing like you mentioned. The worst thing that happens is they say, you know, no, we can't do that. Right. And most likelihood you're not going to get exactly what you asked for. Cause I mean, hence of negotiation, what is it they say if it, for proper negotiation, both people should leave equally, equally uh, disappointed. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, if as you're not an attorney, my husband all, says that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not negotiating at all, they're getting everything that they, you know, yeah. everything that they asked for. So it's just, you know, um, I think the biggest thing is just not to take, you know, that initial offer as the best you can do um, and make sure that whatever you end up with is coming from, you know, a solid belief in yourself and having being really comfortable in, you know, what are all the things that you've done to to get to this, to get to this point and, and focusing on everything you're bringing to the role. I think that's the other thing too, is women will often, they'll lead with their their flaws or their their yeah. critiques, the reason the things that didn't go well, and they won't, and then they'll, you know, or they'll put qualifiers on it. Yeah, I got this, you know, I signed this big client, but uh, men don't do that. No. Men always lead with the successes. Yeah. I, I remember I I, I worked being in finance. It was, you know, it's gotten better, but it's still mm-hmm. heavily male, especially corporate finance is heavily right. male oriented. Remember sitting around tables with them, and you know I can't remember in all my years of corporate ever hearing a guy come in and lead with these are my his, flaws. His, these are my flaws. Mm-hmm. These are the things that I don't do well. Yeah, um, and know your, you know, know your, know what your strengths are and play to your strengths because you can always manage around your flaws. That's the other thing too, mm-hmm. is you know, figure out figure out what your strengths are, your zone of genius. 
um, manage to that zone of genius. And then, you know, cause you could always, you could always manage around um, weaknesses or, or um, your flaws by building, you know, building your team effectively. Yeah. Talk a little bit about zone of genius that comes from the big leap, but yeah, for people who haven't read favorite, that. Yeah. One of my favorite books, it talks about your zone of competence, your zone of excellence and your zone of genius um, and how basically, you know, people who are, who are happy and engaged try and live 80% of their time in their zone of genius. Yeah. And so your zone of, I, I may be butchering it a bit, could definitely go read the book, but basically your zone of competence is something that you can do. You can do well, but there's a lot of other people out there who can do it at least as well, if not better than you. In my space, I would say like that's bookkeeping. You know, I can do bookkeeping, but there's a lot of people out there who will do can do bookkeeping as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, a lot of people out there and there's a lot of people out there who really love transactional bookkeeping. So that's that's my zone of competence. My zone of, you know, then you have your zone of excellence, which is what you're you're better at this than probably 80 percent of the people out there. But you probably don't really enjoy it. So for me, this is probably, you know, like traditional accounting, you know, technical accounting. I can do it. It's I'm better at it than 80 percent of the people. Um, Taxes would be another one. You know, I tell people when they ask me tax questions, I was like, I know more than you do. Um, But I'm going to send you to somebody. You know, when somebody asks me, I get asked all the time, you know, taxes. I was like, I can give you some general guidance. But when you're ready to do your tax return or you're really ready to maximize your tax deductions, I'm going to send you to somebody who that's their zone of genius. That's what they really are good at. And they do. Um, Your zone of genius is that thing that you can do better than just about anybody else. It's where you thrive. For me, this is like financial education, helping educate people, mm-hmm. helping them simplify their numbers, understand their numbers, and understand where strategy and finance intersect. You know, some, somebody told me the other day, they called me, told me the other day, they're like, "You're a financial whisperer. You're like, I never feel judged by you, um, and I can I can take things that are complicated and I can simplify them. And a lot of your accounting people can't do that." Yeah, um, because they use a lot of accounting, you know, lingo and jargon. Um, and so the idea is to figure out what your what your zone of genius and spend eighty percent of your time in you know in your in your zone of genius. Um, it's a great book, highly yeah, recommend. No, it is. I I absolutely. It's definitely it's definitely you know as I build my business, it's helped me. It's like there's a lot of things I do as an entrepreneur. Um, some of them I do just because I just they have to get done right now. But um, it's helped me get clear as to what are the very first things you know that I want to outsource. If I take it into my you know back into my old, into my corporate days, um, knowing your genius allows you to figure out what kind of team do you need to have around you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because um, another thing you know, if people haven't done is strength uh, Clifton Strengths test. Uh-huh. Um, another thing, because I think that helps you find your zone of genius, yeah. um, but figuring out what your strength, inherent strengths are and manage to those strengths, focus on those strengths. And then for the things that you're, you're weaker in, you can use it to build your team. You can hire expertise. And I think there is a correlation between your, your strengths. I think the test is like $60 on the, if, if you Google Clifton strengths, you'll find it. So like one of my strengths was strategic. Um, and that happens to also be in my yeah. zone of genius. But yeah, you can you can you can manage you can you can hire people to handle your zones of excellence and your zones of competence. And that's part of actually when you know what I tend to do with you know a lot of my clients is they're 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 kind of gotten buried in some of the day to day finances they grow in their business, but they're just you know they've never put financial processes in place. And so, but now they're kind of sucked into it. It's so the very first thing I, I had a client not too long ago. It's like your job is not to pay bills. 
to, to sit here and, and enter bills and you know do, and your your job is not to send out invoices you know yeah. she, she's it's like that's not your job you're you're this yeah you know, head of your business your zone of genius which she knew is sales you know, and client relationships your job is to go out and make stuff happen we need to find people hire people put structures in place so that areas that are your zone of competence somebody else is doing for you yeah. So because your zone of your zone of competence is somebody else's zone of genius. That's the other thing to know is you right. know, zone of competence doesn't mean that it's not important. Yeah. It just means it's an area that that somebody else, it's their zone of genius. So yeah. you know, and with good leaders, they know that they don't have to be able to do everything, that they right. don't do everything well. Right. I think also sometimes women with imposter syndrome, they have trouble knowing what their zone of genius is because they it's too easy to discount the things that they do. And so having the strengths test, I think is good. Having a mentor or a good friend to talk to or a coach who can help you if you're having trouble and you're like, I don't have a zone of genius. I've had women tell me that. Everybody has a zone of genius. Everybody has one. Sometimes the outside perspective, you know, helps you. But I also think as women too, sometimes it's hard. We feel like we need to be able to do it all. Absolutely. How do we, how often do we hear that as moms? You know, I need to be able to do it all. I need to be able to go out. What what was that old 1980s? The uh, Anjali. I go out. I bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan. Never let you forget your What was that a a commercial for? Anjali perfume. Oh. I yeah, use I that in that. class. I remember that lot. from like ni- 1980s or uh, 1980s. Yeah, early, it's about 1980s. Yeah, I mean that's what we're expected to 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 have the kids. Yeah. Um, stay home. You know, make sure we nurture the kids. Do our job. Um, and to a certain degree, I mean, I love working remote now. Yeah. But one of the things I've also found is people have to be really good at setting boundaries because it is very easy. You know, it's like I don't have to commute to work anymore. You know, it's just it's my computer's always there. Yeah. Um, so set those boundaries. But yeah, we're expected to do it all. And we feel often feel guilty, Obligated. even for hiring a cleaning service or yeah. whatever. But it is because you can apply this even within your home setting. What is your zone of genius in your parenting role? Yeah. You know, what is your zone of you know, genius. My zone of competence is not math. I have a daughter who are chemistry and are helping with homework. And I've found, you know, there's other people. Yeah. We have a tutor who's a life, mm-hmm. uh, a lifesaver who, you know, works with my daughter twice a week because my zone of, my zone of competence is trying to help a teenager with understanding chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure I'd call it a zone of competence, but her tutor, it's his zone of genius. He's really good at breaking down complex chemistry into simple things. So ask yourself in your personal life too, you know, what is your real, what is your zone of, zone, zone of genius in your relationships with your, with your kids or your, you know, your significant other. But yeah. um, so those are two, you know, that's, that's a, book I would definitely, you know, recommend is The Big Leap. Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of my favorites. Well, I think we're about out of time today, but we're I'm going to have to have you back because we were going to talk about another book, The Gap and the Gain, and talk about how that can one. affect financial situations with women with imposter syndrome. But Carla, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy being here. How can people get in touch with you to talk to you about your financial. They can check me out at www.carlamotes, that's C-A-R-L-A-M, Zamari, O-A-T-S.com. Um, that's my website. You can also find me on um, Facebook. 
at Carla Motes Coaching. And you can find me on LinkedIn at just at Carla Motes. Um, that's where I spent Facebook and LinkedIn is where I spend most of my, my social media time. So awesome. Um, and they can grab a they can grab a, a cash if they have their own business. Um, I just threw, uh, launched actually yesterday. Well, I forgot to mention it. I just <laughs> launched a, a guide for 10 ways you can improve your cash flow in your business and they can go grab that at my um at my website. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll definitely be seeing you again in a few weeks. And All right. Until yes. then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.